So tonight's topic is from longtime patron of the network, Avi Waxberg, who asked about hard scene framing. Whoa, 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 whoa. Where's the funny opening in the music stuff? I mean, normally we do that first, but see, tonight we're talking about hard scene framing, so I'm Uh, I'm doing the thing. Oh, so you jumped straight to the topic. Yeah, I'm like hard framing the show. And welcome to Pandas Talking Games. I'm one of your hosts, Phil. And I am your other host, Senda. And before we get started tonight, we have a quick word from one of our sponsors. Up above, you see blood red clouds boiling across the sky. I hear that you're not about to go on an adventure. Uh, you know how Emma likes to have me running around worrying about things. <laughs> you see armies at your back, dwarven, elven, human. You see all the races under your command, and you wickedly smile back at yourself. We can do this the easy way, or we can do this the hard way. And you see this light being shattered into seven different pieces. It's not worth the risk. Just say it's part of my inquisitive nature. I have been following you for a very long time. Do you want a countdown? Three, two, one. Now. And you feel the ball drop out from beneath you. The Lucky Die Podcast is a weekly 5e Dungeons & Dragons actual play podcast. Join our adventure every Monday wherever you download podcasts by searching for The Lucky Die. So tonight's topic is from longtime patron and listener Avi, who asks... Hi, Phil and Senda. Can you please discuss hard scene framing? I'm particularly interested in determining what should be the next scene to frame and how to frame it in a compelling way and determining what a scene needs to address slash focus on when to close a scene or to cut away or to come back. So first of all, Avi, we hope that you are safe during the fires. Uh, Avi's from Australia. And one, I don't know where Avi lives. And two, my Australian geography is terrible. Um, so, we just know it's all on fire. Yeah, all from every it. picture I've seen, basically it's all on fire. So I'm basically just concerned for all of my Australian friends at all times. Yes. So hoping that you are okay and safe. And second, thank you so very much uh, for the topic. Yeah. So Avi has set down the gauntlet of what we need to do. So we're going to jump right into it. We're going to start off the way that we always do. And we're going to ask our definition panda to talk about scene framing and its many forms. So Phil... <laughs> well, thank you. So scene framing is the act of both establishing scenes and closing them, right? So by establishing scenes, we mean where the scene is taking place, what's going on, and temporally, where are the players when their agency begins in the scene, right? Because we narrate a scene and then we hand it off to the players. Yes. All right. So closing scenes then is the act of removing that player agency ending the narration of the scene in order to transition to another scene or to conclude for the evening, the session, etc. Yep. Okay, so in most tabletop RPGs, traditional and indie, the job of scene framing is usually the GM's job. Right. There are some notable exceptions to this, of course. Um, Everything we talk about, there's always an exception when it comes to tabletop RPGs, pretty much. And in this case... It's when the ability is distributed to all or some of the players. But Fiasco would be a really good example of when you distribute the scene framing. 
Absolutely. And you don't even have to have the rules of a game distribute this. Yeah. Um, a GM can just uh, hand it to a player to set a scene. Oh, yeah. That's also and it's entirely great. possible. And I love doing that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So regardless of who has the ability to frame a scene, it all basically works the same. And it tends to go along the lines of the following model. Right. So we start with the opening narration. So the person who is framing the scene is going to describe where the scene is taking place, what is going on right now as we're going into the scene, etc. All those like initial setup bits. Yeah. Then we establish the characters, mm -hmm. right? So the characters are then narrated into the scene, like where they are, what's going on around them, etc. Yep. And then now you have a scene and character, so you can play the scene. So you actually get the characters acting within the scene and having agency and making changes. Then we reach the scene objective. And this is the character, the, the characters achieve the goal of like the scene, right? This is the thing that they're trying to achieve, right? So it could be a combat, it could be a particular conversation, finding a secret door, getting a clue, etc. Now, we're going to get back to this, we're going to break this out a little bit more. Uh, but this is really important. So put a put a pin in scene objective. Yep. And then uh, once the objective is fulfilled, they're going to continue to play, right? Again, the characters continue to act after the objective is met. Yep. And then we have our closing narration, right? Where the person who framed the scene uh, declares the scene to be concluded and kind of closes out the narration and prepares for a transition. Right. So we do want to dig back into that scene objective, like we said, right? Right. So every good scene, I'm going to say that without any quotes, and I'm not, and I'm not going to put any qualifiers on this. <laughs> every good scene yeah. has an objective. Yes. Um, it is the purpose of the scene, right? The reason that we are playing the scene out, okay? And again, from some of the things we named, right? It could be that this scene is a combat. So we want to see whether the heroes prevail or not against the creatures in this combat. Uh, it could be obtaining a clue. Do our investigators find or not find one or more clues in the scene? It could be negotiating a deal. Did the characters book passage, you know, mm -hmm. or, you know, are they going to have to find another way through the blood sands? Um, we all like, we, we know this, right? This is a thing where it's like a scene needs to have an objective. Now we, we have to put the objective into the scene and then the players have to kind of do it and see if they're successful or not. It's not the objective. And I use, I like the word objective because it's the thing you're trying to achieve, but failing the objective is just as valid as succeeding. Yeah. The players could retreat from the monster. They could not find the clues. They could fail to book passage across the blood sands. Those all still make the game go forward. Right? Those all still answer the, the question that the scene was asking. Yes. And it, right. That's the scene objective, right? Yeah. The scene objective is the question. And what happens in the scene answers the question. Correct. Yes. Okay. Cool. So what's flexible in all of this from that model that we described is the play that occurs before the scene objective and the play that occurs after. Now, if we go to the old school, because I am, you know, I was there. because You were there. 40 years ago in the 80s. Um, <laughs> the, old, the older school of thought was to open up a scene and let it progress somewhat organically through that play. 
uh, until the characters eventually reach the objective. Right. I, I give a quick example of this. Right. So I'll 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 GM a little. So uh, Senda, you're at the edge of town, where you are uh, planning to meet Radic at uh, at the inn. What are you doing? Um. So I'm gonna I'm gonna see if there's any people for me to stop and ask where I can find the brazen weasel. Right. So um. Yeah. So you know you run into um. You run into a person, they have a cart with some um, vegetables in it, and they're, you know, like trying to sell the vegetables. So um, if you're looking for the brazen meeple, I'm sure I could tell you, but I'm, I'm, I'm very stressed by all this vegetables that I have to um, lug around <laughs> with me. If I had less to lug around, I, I feel like I, my memory might improve. Good. I, I want a GM now, because at this moment, there just has to be some sort of like street rat like chase scene that comes right through here and plows right through this vegetable cart because like that's just a thing that has to happen right now for my sanity so here's the important part right see what we've not done is actually reach the we didn't get to radic at all right okay (laughs) um and, and that is like kind of the old school way of of doing it right because like largely because we didn't think about these things back then so the quote newer and it is not really newer because this has actually been around for many years at this point but it is newer than the other way um is to open the scene closer to the objective and get into like the heart of the action right so allow me to um allow me to gm one more time so uh, let's open the scene with um, you are sitting across the table from Radic in the brazen meeple. Uh, he puts down his mug, wipes his mustache, looks at you and says, so you want passage through the control zone? That's going to cost you some gold. I've got all these vegetables. <laughs> right. Good. Perfect. Okay. So here's the thing, right? Um, we can see the difference, right? Like in the first one, like... We just kind of started somewhere and wandered around. It's like a lot of old video games, right? Where you have to like wander through the town, bumping into people until you like eventually get to the part where you reach the objective and can move to the next part of the story. As opposed to the newer one where we just like open right where you need to be. And we don't worry about how you got there, why you're sitting there. We don't care like how you introduce yourself to Radic. Like we just drop right into that section and like we're right before the scene objective. And it's it's actually a lot more similar to how we do media now, right? Because if you oh, think yeah. about how we cut television shows, movies, um, how we write chapters and books and everything, like we skip over a lot of those bits because they're right. not they're- interesting. Absolutely. They're not interesting. (laughs) And we used to keep them in because people felt like they needed to, like they needed the whole organic, like I need to see the whole thing of how it unfolds. But what we've really learned kind of through modern editing and storytelling is that you, You your brain will handle the rest of that. Yeah, it's fine. You actually don't need it. Um, Yeah. Cool. That's really good. That's a really good point. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the same thing is all true about closing scenes. Right. So this is where we talk about, again, the the older school of thought was to complete the objective and then, you know, just wait until the players decided to go do the next thing. Right. And and maybe you didn't even ever have a hard cut. Maybe it was just like you have to follow them through every moment of every day. Right. Like, make them go to the bathroom. It doesn't <laughs> like you must play every moment the newer thought is that as soon as you've completed the objective 
at any point after that objective is completed or that that question is answered for the scene, however that outcome ends up happening, is that from that point on, you can transition directly to the next scene, right? You don't have to play out more. Right. So placing how close to the objective you open a scene and how quickly after the objective this scene is met are under the control of the person framing it. And that's the crux of hard scene framing. Yeah. So hard scene framing is about keeping those two areas of play tight to the objective so that play stays focused on the objective, which in turn keeps the play of the game moving. Because if we open close to the objective, we answer the question and close out the scene. Then we can open the next scene close to the objective, answer the question, close the scene. And now like our game is moving. Yeah, you can you can clip through games very quickly, and um, certainly um, when I have experimented with how much time, how little time can I run an RPG in, aggressive scene framing is definitely the answer to that. Sometimes it's really nice to let things breathe, but like you can really plug through a game, and it's great. So let's stop for one second before we jump into Avi's questions, and yeah. I want to address the word breathe, because you and I use it a yeah, lot. Yeah, we do, we um, do. <laughs> so a quick definition of the word breathe, um, we are using this in the terms of wine, where one lets a wine breathe before before you drink it, with the idea being that you open the wine and pour it into something that has more air to allow better airflow to allow the flavors to expand. Right? Yes. Okay. So there are times in games where a scene is occurring or something's occurring in a scene where you could, if you were aggressively framing or cutting, right, cutting between scenes, which we're going to talk about a little later in the show, you could cut into it, right, stop it or switch the camera, you know, switch the focus of the game. Um, but sometimes you don't. Right. Yes. Sometimes you allow a scene to breathe, not because it's achieving the objective, but because of what's happening will wind up being better for the story overall. And so like a lot of times um, this happens with like character NPC or character character interactions where suddenly two characters are having this heart to heart talk. That's not really the objective of the scene. But at the same time, it's doing something for the drama of the game and the connect the connection of the characters. And so you purposely don't. It's still interesting. Yes. So right? you let it breathe. Yeah. Um, and there's something compelling there that you want to stay and see, even though the the question for the scene, the objective, we've already resolved it. There's something compelling there that you still want to know now sure. coming out of that cool and it doesn't even have to be that it's, it doesn't even have to be that this objective's already been resolved we may not have even gotten to the objective. we may not have even gotten there yet right. yeah the act of letting a scene breathe when we say breathe we mean let it open up and let it play out without without pushing on it in order to because something interesting is happening and you want to, to let that happen in a way that um that pushing on it might disrupt yes Okay, cool. I just wanted to mention that because sometimes you and I say that, um, uh, and it's important for people to understand that. So, right. with that, let us reframe and um, tell <laughs> me about... Get to the monkey! Get to the monkey! <laughs> tell me about Avi's first part, which was about uh, setting scenes. 
Right. So the first part of the question was determining what should be the next scene to frame and how to frame it in a compelling way. Cool. So firstly, let's break this down because there's a couple of parts to it, right? So the first part is determining what should be the next scene to frame. And this is going to come mostly from the game that you're playing and the plot that you're playing through, which is a little tricky because you know that better than we do, right? So if we're thinking in terms of a linear storyline, just for the purpose of keeping this simple and straightforward, the next scene is going to come from, from one of a couple of different places. Right. So it could come from your prep, right? So if your game is prepped in any way, right, such as an encountered-based adventure like a dungeon or a clue web for a mystery, um, or you might have the agenda of the opposition or like a thing I like to do, which is the, like, what is going on here, um, document your prep yep. may inform you what your next um, step is uh, yeah. the players may inform you right the players may tell you that they want to have a certain type of scene yep right like oh we want to go talk to the police chief well guess right. that's what cool. we're doing that's what we're gonna do um, and yeah. the other one is consequences of the players actions right so if you're playing like um, a lot like we do when you're playing pbta games and games similar to that things like six minuses and seven to nines often have consequences that sometimes lead into what's going to happen next yeah for sure um, and then once you know what that scene should be about then you can think um, what is the objective or what is like the question you're asking with the scene? What's the thing we need to find out if it happens or not? Right. So if Dr. Flame's agenda is that he's going to attack the shopping mall, right, um, then our objective is going to be will will or will or won't the, pl- the heroes stop Dr. Flame? Right. So then once you know what that objective is, Now you're deciding how far away from that happening do you want to place the characters as you open the scene, which is how much playtime are you planning to give them before the immediate action happens that they have to start working on that question for. Exactly, right? So some of this is going to be based on your own GM preference, right? For slow and hard openings, right? Some people like, um, like if you're Sneezak, Sneezak likes really hard framing. Um, I like a good mix of hard framing. Um, yeah. I, I do it very much in a beat structure where yeah, I, like, yeah, yeah. I like it Agreed. sometimes and sometimes I, sl- like sometimes I let it breathe out. Sometimes I like I go a little faster. Um, yeah. So GMing preference is a big part of it. Um, and the other way is going to be what you, how you want the scene to open um, within this game, not like in general or your basic style, but like within like this scene. Like if I, if we do the Doctor Flame thing, right? Do I want it? If I want to um, open it more aggressively, right? I can have the heroes like you're in the parking lot approaching the mall as people are running out screaming, saying he's setting fire to everything. He's setting fire to everything, right? Boom. We're like, we're going right into combat. Run in there. Yeah. Right. Um, But I could also, and this is also valid, I could have the heroes if we're playing, like I'm I'm defaulting to this to being masks, right? So um, we could have our teen heroes in the mall. Like you went to the mall to go get milkshakes as teens are prone to get milkshakes. Um, it's never just ice cream, just so we're clear. Just so that we're clear. It's <laughs> never just ice cream. Um, so the players go to the mall to get milkshakes, and you can play out them having milkshakes and talking when all of a sudden the glass ceiling of the food court um, melts and falls to the ground in a pile of liquid glass as Dr. Flame descends, you know, 
um, condemning everyone and hurling fireballs into the food kiosks, right? Yes. The same objective. Yep. Two very different openings, one further away from the question than the other. Yeah. So, I mean, I think our preference is frequently to open as close to the objective as makes sense. And like you were saying, it matters a lot what how you want the scene to feel. And if you have other things that you want to see, I think at the same time. So if you're playing masks and you're like, ooh, I really want to see how you two are interacting because we know that there's a crush going on that you haven't talked about yet. So I want to put you in a horribly awkward, uncomfortable, dramatic, emotional situation and like make you have that moment and then interrupt it with Dr. Flame, right? There's only enough strawberry ice cream for one shake. And you yeah. both wanted a strawberry ice cream. So now there are two straws. Uh, are you going to share the shake? <laughs> right? Like, there's your horror. Like, that's what we want to know. And then we want to interrupt it by uh, applying a pressure cooker of Dr. Flame to the situation. Right. And it might be that if the scene is wonderfully awkward as they're fumbling around, sharing the shake and getting close to each other, that we might opt to let the scene breathe a little. Right? Like, right. You can delay Dr. Flame as long as you want to to see how awkward they can be with each other and if someone ends up with strawberry milkshake on their nose, right? right. Because I want to see that. Exactly, right? So again, <laughs> this is... All right, so I think just to kind of sum up what we're saying here is, right, there's a stylistic preference yeah. um, to sometimes when you want to open a scene further away and sometimes when you want to open a scene close and yes. it is okay to have thought I'm going to open the scene fairly close see something happen in the yeah. game and be like no no I'm going to slow this down let it breathe a little before I do, before I do it Yes, exactly. Right. Um, but it's also perfectly reasonable to say we have an hour and a half to play this game before two of our players are leaving to go see Star Wars. So we got to like slam through this thing and be done. And, you know. Exactly. Yep. Then, then like hard scene framing all the way. Right? Yep. Absolutely. Cool. Um, yeah. How about cool. I talk about a little bit about closing scenes? Yeah, you should totally talk about closing scenes. Sure. You might so, need to talk quickly about closing scenes. Yeah, yeah, I see that. Um, so Avi's next question was determining when a scene needs, determining what a scene needs to address, focus on, and when to close the scene or cut away and come back. So we've actually addressed the what to focus on part uh, just a few minutes ago uh, because that's how we figure out the scene objective. So let's take a closer look at uh, cutting away and closing scenes. So cutting away... If you have split the party, right, just like our last episode, um, you then know? you've got some parallel scenes going on. Mm -hmm. And part of our advice uh, in that last episode was to use aggressive scene framing where you cut back and forth between parallel scenes. Right. So this is one of those times where in order to know when to switch over, you're actually looking at the beat structure of the scene itself. So the beats are like the smaller units of action that are taking place within the scene, the little narrative chunks that line up against each other that are the different feels exactly um so when you're cutting away you want to you want to do those cuts between beats 
Right. So like you enter the bar, you're scanning the place for trouble. You uh, touch the side of your glasses and they light up and digitally scan. Your eyes reach around and then you see in the darkest corner, Gak the Slayer is standing there and he um, lifts his tankard to his mouth, takes a big drink, wipes the foam off his beard, um, turns to look at the dark game and then sees you and draws his vibro sword and he's running at you screaming. Okay, yeah. so then cut to the next person. Cool. Right, right. That's a perfect beat, right? The <laughs> we'll next come back to you in a sec. <laughs> right, because the next beat's going to be what is the character going to do? Yeah, like what are you going to do is the next beat, right? Right. But we're also leaving them in a cool place where they're going to remain engaged. <laughs> exactly. And we might need to break out cutting uh, scenes into a bigger thing later. But we definitely could, yeah. yeah. There's there's more meat on that bone. Okay, but for now, let's uh, let's talk about closing scenes. So after the objective has been reached, you want to get to the closing of the scene so that you can advance the story by getting into the next scene. Uh, and in general, we are fans of um, doing this as close to the completion of the objective as possible, right? Like once you kind of know what the scene's about, and I do this at my tables, once I know what the scene's about, I start to very quickly drop out of, like, I drop into more of a summary narrative mode mm -hmm. than a, like, individual character, like, you know, moment-by-moment moment character narration. And, like, I often have the questions like, okay, um, so as the police haul away the body, is there anything else anybody wants to do here? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a close-up of the scene, right? Right, like, that's that's yeah. a hint. That the, that's a hint the scene's coming to a close, right? Right. Um, and... To that, that question is that question is about giving the players uh, a chance to do any follow up actions because there might be something that a character wants to do at the end of a scene, and if I'm too aggressive to close it, they're going to be like, but, but, "But wait, right?" Like, yeah. So yeah. you you always want to like give them an option. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, if you just defeated Doctor Flame at the mall and you're sadly looking at the remains of what once was a strawberry shake, um, you might want to search him for clues about where his lair is or who he's been working with, right? Exactly. So you don't want to like you don't want to just like defeat him and then be like, cool, okay, next scene, right? Like, that's right. a little too aggressive. Or you may need to have a second to close up on like whatever awkward moment he interrupted with the milkshake. Right? Like, we might have to finish out that social interaction. Maybe, maybe the milkshake is perfectly fine. There's a slight fire around it, but it's still there. Does, like, one of the players run over and grab right. it? Do they save the milkshake? Do they sit down and finish it? You know, we, so we may need we may need to resolve another piece of that, right? Like, exactly. But do what you need to do. <laughs> right. So as soon as the characters are out of immediate actions, right, um, in that area... And they start talking about moving to another yes. area. It's probably time to close the scene. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It definitely is. And that's there because they're usually like, okay, cool. So the next thing we're going to do is we're going to, you know, um, take this hair back to our lab and analyze it to see where his cat is from. Yeah, exactly. So the second, the second that that kind of talk starts up, you know that you are like rapidly approaching the border of the scene. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And once we start talking about aggressively closing scenes, it must be time for us to close out the show. But before we do, I am going to take one more action and tell you about another show on the Misdirected Mark Network um, because it's so super awesome. Um, <laughs> because um, She's a Super Geek is an Emmy-nominated actual play podcast highlighting women as GMs. Join 
Senda, and Andy every other Tuesday for lots of different RPGs and guests. It's true. (laughs) See, because then it can say your names. That's true. If you do it, you don't say your names. No, I say join me. Right. But, but, you know, join, join Senda and Professor Fox. (laughs) Senda and Professor Professor Fox Fox. sounds like, Senda and (laughs) Professor Fox sounds like a 1980s cartoon (laughs) where uh, you, where Professor Fox has a time machine and takes little Senda all through the timeline to learn different things. That's uh, but so it's cats, a fox instead of a little white dog, right? So cat, right? It, it's an actual fox, yes. yes. So catch, so catch, Senda and Professor Fox, eight a.m. on NBC Saturday mornings. <laughs> Could we need to wrap up this show? It's really long. Oh, it is long. Yeah. Um, say, Senda, where can people reach us on the internet? Well, you can find us on Twitter at Pandas Talk Games. You can find us on the Misdirected Mark forums, forums.misdirectedmark.com, or you can drop us an email, panda at misdirectedmark.com. And Phil, once they have that information, what can they do with it? Much like Avi, you can send us uh, your topics for us to cover. We love getting stuff from you guys. You've heard me say it before. We are pretty much completely sourced from your topics. Um, really, we've gotten this far on doing almost everything you've asked for and we're not stopping anytime soon. So send us topics. We'll keep making them into shows. We have a lot of fun doing it. Uh, if you like what we do here elsewhere on the Misdirected Mark Network, you can support our Patreon campaign. Go to patreon.com slash MMP. Patrons get all sorts of good things. Uh, access to our Slack Room for Life, which I think is probably one of the coolest things. The bonus outtakes from the show, which is pretty funny. Also pretty cool. Yeah. The Misdirected Mark After Show, that's, uh, that's, that, that can be, that's all over the place. That can be from super serious to super ridiculous. Um, but I think it's uh, a lot of cool, valuable chat. Uh, you can get uh, the occasional stuff from Encoded Designs as like we like to make stuff from every now and then and like give it out. Um, and finally, uh, by the way, I think we're going to be close to giving something out to the patrons soon from Encoded. There's some, there's, there's a little something that's going to be wrapped up soon that I think is going to go out to everybody. But the other thing we like to do is also shout out to our patrons. Uh, so today we are shouting out to Todd Crapper, the prophet of probability. And the best name in gaming. Mm-hmm. Theodore Atkinson. Thank you very much. Uh, and the head gnome himself, John Arcadian. Does this mean I'm out of the stew? I guess. Cool. <laughs> Say, Senda, there's another thing that um, people can do if they are uh, either already supporting the Patreon campaign, hurrah, or unable to support the Patreon campaign, which is totally understandable. Uh, But it is so helpful for us. doesn't cost a thing. uh, just takes a few minutes of your time and helps other people find the show, which is really the thing we need. Because we know once you find us, you will love us. We just need you to find us. What is that thing? Well, you could leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. And every new review you leave actually really does help new people find the show. Because let's face it, we maybe could have named the show better for people to find it. That's maybe a thing that we could have done. A little SEO action there. But you know, pandas, right? Pandas are awesome. They're adorable. Cool. Anyway, thank you so much to everyone who has already left a review. They really do actually make our day every time we find one. If so, if you leave it somewhere that we're not going to see it, we actually really appreciate you poking us and being like, hey, I left you a review. We will love it. We will love it. It's amazing. Thank you. So anyway, uh, Phil, show me how you're going to frame the first scene in your transit game. 
Oh, it's going to be something like phasers have locked and are powering up, you know, what do you do? Yes. This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Click, click. Clicky from Whammo. Bloop. What? <laughs> okay. Send up. Whammo <laughs> was a toy company from the 1970s that made frisbees and lawn darts and um, all sorts of um, all sorts of questionably dangerous uh, uh, toys for kids. Lawn darts, like sharp lawn darts. I mean, you say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. Did they have metal points on the end? Well, I mean, you got to stick them into the ground somehow. That seems dangerous. <laughs> let's talk about Waymo toys for a second. Waymo. Okay. Okay. Well, let's see. Wikipedia. Uh, let's see. Quick check on Wikipedia. Waymo was an American toy company based in California. Operated for nearly 70 years. Um, introduced the hula hoop, frisbee, slip and slide, super ball, trackball silly string hacky sack and boogie board i love them and i hate them <laughs> they created the super ball which was like what one was of my the super ball yeah you remember the smell of the no. super ball what was the super ball no no not what was the super ball you know it's those rubber synthetic rubber balls that you just bounce they go oh the super duper bouncy ones yeah like the ones you get out of the like, little vending machines oh, yeah, 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 yeah 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 super ball yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I didn't know they were responsible for that. Look, there's one right over here on the floor because my child always gets them from vending machines and then my cat steals them. Yeah. Because they bounce and he makes off with them. And in the middle of the night, you hear thunk, 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 Yes, exactly. Across the floor because he started batting it. Yeah, so slip and slide was a whammo. Oh man, slip and slide. Right. Slip and slide. Oh, magic sand. Magic sand in 1980. Wow, magic sand is that old? I was about to say magic sand is 20 years old and then I stopped myself because <laughs> it's 2020. Well, now I need to know who made charts. Oh, no. I'm old. <laughs> All right. Who made? <laughs> Did you know the 80s were 20 years ago? <laughs> the 80s were not 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, they were. <laughs> yeah, they were. I wish they were 20 years ago, but they're like 40 years. <laughs> yes, tell me about your one wish in the dumpster. The one wish and the dumpster. This is a true this is a true story from my childhood. This is a Philip parable. Yeah. So, um when I was in middle school, I think like 7th grade. Okay. Uh, I lived in this apartment building. There were um 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 units in the apartment building. And the landlord would pay me to do odd jobs. Nice. Uh, around. So sometimes I would show off apartments. Like, so if somebody wanted to come check out an apartment, like I would let them, um, you know, I would let the prospective people into the apartment to look around and lock up or whatever. Um, but one of my jobs was to clean up the garbage on the side of the, um, on the side of the uh, apartment building. So 
it was this apartment building and the, it was surrounded by woods. So it was like this apartment with this major road in front of it and then woods all around it. So there was always creatures of some sort creeping in and knocking over the garbage cans. Right. And it was like a the wall, it was basically like a row of garbage cans, right? And everybody just put their stuff in and then... Um, on um, everybody had, I think each unit had one or two garbage cans, and then you put them out front. The garbage truck would pick them up, and you bring them back. Okay. Yeah. But my job was to make sure like that all stayed neat and clean. And so one March, well, like early March, when it was still like still snowy and um, icy, the raccoons had gotten in and knocked over a whole bunch of um, oh the garbage. Cans. Damn those raccoons! I did shit. <laughs> So, you know, I, I got to go out there and it's freezing cold and, you know, I'm like trying to pick up the garbage, but it's like partially frozen to the ice. I'm partially frozen, right? Like I, I can't wear my um, big winter gloves because I'm trying to pick up garbage and I want to get garbage on my big winter gloves somewhere in like rubber gloves, but there's no insulation. Right. And so I'm just like, I'm like kneeling in the snow, collecting all this garbage. Like, this is like the fourth time these raccoons have raided the garbage because it's winter time. And I'm like, and I say to myself, I, and I, I don't even say it very quietly. I say to myself on the side of the building, I'm like, if there is a God, like we would just have a dumpster. And not five minutes later, this garbage <laughs> truck pulls into the parking lot of our, of our complex and on the back of it is a shiny red dumpster and it lowers it off of the back of the thing, puts it in the end on the corner of our parking lot and leaves. <laughs> and I'm sitting in the like snow, right? Right. With two handfuls of garbage looking <laughs> at this shiny red dumpster. And I like put everything away and I stand the cans back up. And I approach the dumpster very cautiously, realizing what has now happened, right? Like, for one moment, my voice to God's ear, right, has, yes. has happened. And God was like, oh, a dumpster? Sure, you know, no and problem. Like, yeah. No problem. Here you <laughs> there go. There you go, kid. Yeah. But now I'm like, oh, no. You're not like, going to get paid anymore. <laughs> like, oh, no. I, I've used my wish, right? Like, <laughs> Oh, no. So I approach the dumpster and I'm like... And if there's a God, this dumpster will be full of money. <laughs> and I opened it and it was empty <laughs> because I used my only wish ever right. and got a dumpster, dumpster for it. Yep. So um, you. Wow. Need to, the, the moral of the story, right, is to be careful um, and don't wish haphazardly um, because you never know which one of your wishes is going to connect to the cosmos and be granted. Mine is <laughs> a dumpster. A dumpster. A shiny red dumpster. That was it. That's it. That's it. That's my, uh, that is the story of the wish, the one wish in the dumpster. True story. I love your dumpster story. It was, uh, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Because I never had to go back out in the snow and pick up garbage ever again. Yeah. Um, because everybody just put their garbage in the dumpster and the raccoons couldn't get into the dumpster because it had like the big heavy lid and all that stuff. So um, it was great for that part. But again, my lip, my lip <laughs> to the cosmos and what I got was a dumpster. 
It was what you asked for. I know, but you just, you know. <laughs> you, you used can't, it. You can't that was just, it. Right. You can't just be like driving in traffic and be like, I wish I get to work on time. Like, what if that's your wish? What if that's it? That's the one time they were listening. Right. You need to save that. You need to speak it carefully. <laughs> Bloop. Meow. Meow. Okay. I didn't make the face at the time. You probably did. I specifically glanced away from you at the words on the page so that I wouldn't like up because we're already like eleven minutes in. Oh, I was like, wanna, oh, maybe I was like, again? oh, maybe I did the. No, maybe no, I didn't do I the feel face like, this time. I feel like we should test and see if you did the face or not. Are you ready? Meow, meow. Sure. Your your eyebrows still do a little bit of this. You were working hard to control it. I, I was I was trying hard. I've been meowing all week. <laughs> I was like, I wish I didn't make that funny face when I meow. I know, but it's too late. You already, too you already late. used, used the my wish, wish up. <laughs> Bloop. So All right. I was thinking. Oh, okay. Here we go. <laughs> so do you remember we played a game called uh, Magic Market? Yes. On She's a Super Geek, right? Oh, Where, Wish Magic Market, right? Yes. I want to play that game again and be like, you can only use things that you find on Wish. Here's the thing, though. I don't think that's much of a challenge because like I, I get the, I get like a thing from in my Facebook thing from wish and the yeah. nonsense that shows up in that list. It's amazing. But I think what you would have to do is you'd have to say, you have to pick three things from wish and make them work together. Yeah. I think, I mean, cause finding something outrageous on wish is like shooting fish in a barrel. Yes. I think you have to find something on wish, but it has to be normal. Right, it has to be something someone would actually has, want. Right, it has to be. Yeah, if you can find that on Wish. I mean, I found tool skirts on Wish the other day, and I was like, hmm. Were they skirts made of tools? No. <laughs> I'm just so, saying on Wish I'm, that's entirely possible. I mean, yes, it is entirely possible. There are actually tool this skirts is my like wrench skirt, like the one that I am <laughs> making out of tool. T U L L E tool, and um. And I was like, huh, that actually looks very cute. And then I was like, but it's Wish. So when it arrives, it will be flat and terrible. And it's one size fits all. So it will fit around my thigh. Right. It'll be Wish. So it'll be a tool skirt. Because you, you only it'll get one made, Wish. And it'll be made wish from is wrenches. Not, wish is not it. Yes. Wish is not your Wish. No. That place is wild. I don't know how they live. Anyway, I don't know how they make money. You're uh, going to cry when you have to edit this. I know. I really started. am. I know. Okay. Okay. Meow. <laughs> Simul meow. Final meow. Simul meow. Bloop. Go. Cool. <laughs> Show me what you got. Show me Show what, me you, what got. you got. Show me what you got. It's 46 minutes. We're Ooh. wasting no time on no this one. No time to get out of here. It, it's 33 minutes, right? No. Uh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Don't. I was sort of having some moments because we didn't ask at all during the show. And Google does make the glitchy sounds like it did that night. And I've noticed it like every night since then. And I'm like, oh, God, panic. Okay, good. I've got basically Let's get out 47 here. minutes coming. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, okay, good. Say goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.